back to the extras. My name is Jack. I'm Peter. Uh, good to be back with you, and good to be back with you, Peter. We've we've had a little time off uh, since the the Jonah series, which is the last time we were hanging out and talking uh, Old Testament narrative and irony and. Um, yeah, um, prophecy, all the beautiful things we got to have a look at then. So yeah, really excited to have you back on the podcast as we get into our series this time around. Um, yeah, for those who need a recap and, and a reminder, we, we're starting this new series. Give us a little taste of what have we seen on this Sunday just gone. And what are we looking at for the next few weeks? Yeah, so we're back into Genesis. We've picked up uh, another stretch in this long-running series in Genesis, and we're going from Genesis 37 through to the end. It's the story of Joseph, which is also the story of how God is working through yet another generation of Abraham's family Mm. to make the promises come true, to bring back blessing to his broken world. Yeah. I'm really excited to begin back in the series. Uh, This has been, I mean, some of you who were listening last week, we got to hear Sam kind of share his reflections on closing out the Roman series that he's preached over many years. I have a bit of a similar attachment to Genesis, so, I mean, I haven't been here for the whole series, so it's been running so long, it started even before I arrived at St. Paul's, but the last few years, preaching through this part of the Bible has been a bit of a, a baby of mine, so excited to get to see the, the book of Genesis closed out, and, and looking forward to these next couple of weeks. We'll get into some questions in a moment. A couple of more comments that people have texted in to start with. One person texted in, Has Jack walked from the land of Canaan to preach? Has he even brought his bag with him up on stage? Which is a very humorous remark, so thank you for that. Yeah, I did rock up at Night Church on, uh, on Sunday with a, a bit of a bag of tricks to, to show for those in the room. So Some good prop work. Yeah, that's right. Nice yeah. to come up with something to keep people guessing anyway. Um, but thank you. Thank you for, for noticing. We had another question that's not directly related to what we saw in the Bible, um, and we'll kind of tackle this now to have a, a look at the start. Uh, someone texted in thinking about the finances of our church. Uh, we've had a couple of announcements related to that recently. Uh, we've had many new ministers coming on board and new roles being created. Someone's keen to know how is it that there is no longer finances for the existing position currently held by Jack. Uh, this is particularly striking as a new minister was announced in the same service that a lack of funding was announced. And that is really exciting. We have Kelly starting with us this week, probably when you're listening to this on Friday or so. It's uh, Kelly's first day and we're really excited to get to welcome her to the team and to start putting even more energy into this wonderful membership part of church life. But yeah, Peter, the question here is what's going on? Why is it that we are kind of plus one, minus one? Where is the money up to? Yeah, how should we think about what's going on here? Yeah, so the case is that this year's church budget made provision for a maturity pastor for the entirety of the year and made provision also to bring on a new position, a membership pastor, partway through the year. So in accordance with the plan, the membership pastor has been brought on. However, uh, giving currently is lagging just slightly behind the budgeted position, which means that when it comes to replacing our membership pastor, now of course... Jack, no one could replace you. <laughs> I keep hearing that, and it's become yeah, it's been said so many times. I'm starting to wonder what what's going on. But yes, thank thank you. I, I hear what you're saying. I'm yes. just reading from the sheet that I was given. Yeah, this is this is Roger's script. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, no, of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, you'd be dearly missed, of course, Jack. Um, but you know, it is important for us to to get uh, somebody else coming and serving. Mm. Because, you know, growing in maturity is such a key part of our Christian growth overall as we grow deep in the Word. Uh, but to be certain that we can bring somebody on, 
uh, we the parish council, my understanding is, wants to uh, see uh, evidence that our giving is mm. growing appropriately as forecast for the 2022 budget. So there's uh, just a slight hesitation to go ahead with the initial plan, given that our giving is slightly behind what was budgeted at this stage. Yeah. So, I mean, this question asks, you know, how is it there are no longer finances? It's not so much that that's the case. It's more that we have been hoping and praying for an increase, and that increase isn't quite what we're seeing. This is uh, a great thing you could chat to your parish council representative about in your congregation. If you'd like to hear more, it'd be great to get in touch with them. They're, they're really key people involved in these decisions, and I'm sure they'd love to chat further. And just a reminder to all of us, uh, if you... Uh, Yet to rethink this year how you are stewarding God's money that uh, he's entrusted to you. It'd be great to think about uh, how you are seeking to be generous and growing in the grace of giving. Uh, We've heard that reminder a couple of times. And if you'd like to do something about that, you can uh, head to our church website and and find information about how to give there. We'd love to commend that to you as well. All right. Let's get into our our questions about Genesis proper. Uh, We've had a number of interesting questions. I mean, it's fascinating when we get back into... Old Testament narrative, it's just so rich with details and often on a Sunday it's, it's, there's not nearly enough time to cover all the details, so many of our questions do focus on these details. So we'll get into some of those questions first. One person is, is interested to know, uh, what kind of ferocious animal would we might, might we have expected to have killed Joseph? So that's what the brothers say in verse 20, you know, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Someone wants to know, yeah, which particular type of creature might they have had in mind? Yeah, interesting. It doesn't say, does it? And uh, really, the most vicious animals out there are the brothers, aren't they? Ooh, nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. You know, David says to Saul that when he's out there, you know, in the pastures with the sheep, he's got to deal with like lions and bears and stuff. So mm. it could be, it could be something like that. Yeah, yeah. A number of authors and stories that mention lions, so that was one that came to mind for me. But yeah. All sorts of ravenous beasties out there in the promised land that may well have been expected to do the job. So there you go. Short answer, we don't know, but there's some options for you. Moving right along. Uh, Peter, someone texted, you shared a bit about Reuben's motive. Reuben jumps in and wants to save Joseph from the brothers. Um, actually, we've got a couple of questions in this. First, uh, how can we be so sure of Reuben's motive? Yeah, tell us a bit about what you said about his motive and what leads us in the text to think that that might be why he wanted to save Joseph. Yeah, so, you know, the brothers come up with a plot to kill Joseph. Uh, Reuben jumps in. Reuben, the firstborn, the eldest, jumps in and sort of says, whoa, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just, you know, chuck him in a hole for a while. Mm, and rough him up for a bit, teach him a lesson. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we're, we're told explicitly his motivation is to rescue him from them and take them, take him back to his father. Now, uh, that's what he's trying to achieve. We're not told why it is that he would be at variance with his brothers on this. Mm. So we can't be certain of his kind of deeper motivation. His his immediate plan is to rescue Joseph, certainly. It may be sort of altruism. He's just such a good dude. He won't countenance something like that. Uh, it may be self-preservation. You know, he's the eldest. He's kind of the... Um, He's in loco parentis. He's mm. he's a- acting in charge, and so he's going to get blamed if yeah. uh, something goes wrong. Uh, or I suggested that given that he's historically kind of on the outs with Dad since uh, the uh, well, what would you say, indiscretion in chapter thirty-five. Yeah, that's, that's probably an understatement, isn't it? Yeah, he goes in and sleeps with one of his father's wives. Like, like, yeah, a bit of a no-no, perhaps one might say. Yeah, yeah definitely not. You know, Jacob's favorite son after that moment. Yeah, so it may well be that he he kind of 
uh, has got a bit of making up to do mm. and sees an opportunity to do that. So uh, we can't be sure which of those it is. Uh, in, li- in terms of what the narrative presents us with, that is seems to me to be a reasonable inference to draw. We're mm. told that you know he'd been on the outs, and this is a family where people are manoeuvring for position all the time. That yeah. is a to me a fair assumption, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, I think I said something similar. Yeah, I think that as you kind of look at the way the characters evolve over the book, I think it's reasonable to think something like that. But you're right, yeah, it's it's an inference from the text. I do find it interesting how it, the, the camera kind of pans back to Ruben at the end of uh, the the ambush and the, the selling of Joseph and everything, and it comes back to Ruben, and you kind of find this, the details left out is like Ruben was off, you know, not in the scene when they were selling Joseph, and in verse 29 he kind of comes back and... Last he knew, Joseph was there in the cistern waiting to be rescued, and he comes back and like, oh no, now they've sold him. And Reuben's like, you know, boys in there, where can I turn now? And you kind of explicitly get to see Reuben's like distraught failure at the end of that, which yeah, I think again leads me to think like, oh, this was there was something really riding on this for him, which isn't going to eventuate. Which I think his, his kind of clawing back into the family, mm. I think explains a bit of that as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, these questions about Reuben also talk a bit about Judah. Uh, so we've shared a bit about Reuben's motive. What do you think Judah's motive is? So he's the one who has the kind of opportunistic idea, like rather than killing him, why don't we sell him to the caravan of Ishmaelites? Uh, do we know why Judah did that? Is it just money? Someone else suggested, like, is Reuben similar? Sorry, yeah, Judah similar to Reuben. Is he trying to save Joseph as well? Yeah, why does Judah do what he does here? Well, uh Gain seems to be on his mind. What will we gain if we kill his brother and and Mm. cover up his blood? It says in verse 26. So uh, it appears to be motivated by money. There's no profit in just killing him. Mm. Uh, And as you pointed out very well, Jack, you get the same, you know, same difference if you just get rid of him through slavery, selling him to slavery, and then you get a bit of cash as well. Mm. Um, He does say, after all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, uh, but that certainly has a pretty self-serving cast, yeah. uh, given that he just turns around and sells him into slavery. That's not what you do to your own brother, your flesh and blood. Uh, so it doesn't seem that he's really motivated by the highest ideals here. Yeah, it's one of those... I Again, you, you, you kind of left speculating a bit about, you know, what's his tone as he says that? Like, his own flesh and blood, is that just pure sarcasm? Like, you know, oh, he's our brother, so of course we're not going to kill him, but let's just sell him into this living death anyway. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of rings a bit hollow, what he's saying there. Yeah, no, I think you've unpacked that for as well. Very good. All right, we've got a, a few questions about dreams as well. So the, the whole story kicks off with Joseph telling his dreams to his brothers about their sheaves of wheat are going to bow down to his and the sun, moon and stars are going to bow down to Joseph. This kind of picture of Joseph's families bowing down and, uh, yeah, bending the knee before him. Uh, someone's asked, could Joseph have just made up the dream and then be suffering the consequences of his own prideful kind of dream, in inverted commas, through the sin of his brothers? Yeah, you know, how do we know that Joseph didn't just make it up? Well, I think he didn't make it up. Part of the reason is that we have God appearing in dreams a number of times in Genesis, and mm. that is uh, one key way that God communicates Later on, we have uh, a couple of uh, dreams which we're told if you get a double dream, it means that God has given it twice because the thing is fixed, the thing is certain, God is going to make it happen. And that's what comes to pass with those uh, later sets of dreams that we're coming on to Mm. this week. 
Uh, and that is, in fact, eventually what happens with Joseph's dream. He does eventually come to a position of supremacy over his brothers, just as the dream indicated. Mm. So uh, in terms of what comes before in the story and what comes after, everything points to this being a dream from God that communicates what God has set down for the future. Yeah. However, uh, it is, of course, a little bit more complicated than that, mm-hmm. isn't it, Jack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to get into that a couple more questions. Um, I mean, another little detail supporting that, like, I mean, chapter 37, verse 5, just says Joseph had a dream. Like, the, the narrator tells you this is what happened. Like, you don't just get Joseph claiming it. You actually have the narrator saying Joseph had a dream. So I think it's pretty clear this, this is a dream that happens. And then everything else he said, like, story goes on, becomes very clear this is from God. Um, I mean, another question on this, why didn't God just announce the dream to everyone? instead of Joseph being the one who reveals the dream? Why didn't, yeah, why didn't God do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think my standard response to this kind of question is, you'd better ask him. Yeah. Take, just take, <laughs> it up, take it up with God directly. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, you know, to be a little bit less flippant about it, mm. um, there, as the story plays out, there are some important reasons it seem why, seems why that didn't happen. Uh, a part, you know, the whole flavor of the Joseph story is that uh, God is at work, but uh, not in a way that is uh, immediately obvious to mm. everybody. And so yeah. one of the things about the dream is uh, it's not related as a dream from God, as our previous questioner has, has you know, picked up very astutely. Uh, it doesn't say that God appeared. It doesn't say that God spoke. Uh, and there's room for the brothers to... It seems that they they take it, well, perhaps they sense that it's from God, but they do also seem to take it as just an indication that their brother is doing more of the same, you know, more Mm. of his kind of bratish ways. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So it's not... uh, This is a story where we're left to read off events. Mm. Things happen, and it's not totally clear straight away where God is in them. And we have to wait and see. And that's kind of part of the point of the whole Joseph story. Yeah. You start off and you, it's... Yeah, one of the things Peter and I have been chatting about the last couple of weeks and the lead up to this is... In the Joseph story, it's very, very tempting to always just rush straight to the end. You have this very kind of long, drawn out, like, narrative full of twists and turns. And it's tempting to just kind of cut straight to the chase and be like, but it's all fine in the end and God has a plan and, he's, he, you know, he's working things out. But... Even the book of Genesis, I mean, this is like the longest part of the book of Genesis. Like, this is this this really, like, long kind of closing section of the book. Like, it it's a drawn-out story, and it's it's full of, yeah, character development and twists and turns and backs and forths. And if you didn't have that, you would have just this kind of simplistic lesson if you're like, oh, yeah, bad things happen, but God's in control, so it's fine. And I think the very fact that this story is so drawn out is helping us see that like it's not life is not always straightforward and life in this fallen world has its ups and downs and when you're sitting in it you don't always know what god is doing you don't know the end from the beginning the very way this narrative is shaped i think is meant to teach us that and so as we preach through it we're really working hard to not just kind of jump straight to the end because we've got to yeah i use the language of kind of just sit sit in the ashes for a while sit on the ash heap and and feel the the pain because that's the way the story is set up so um I don't know where I was going with this, but... Yeah. Well, perhaps <laughs> I'd add that yeah. lots of important stuff happens in the middle. It's a big, long story. Yeah. We don't go straight to the end. Mm. Uh, lots of things happen in the middle, and lots of it comes about because Joseph shares the dream. Thank you, yeah. Joseph has a dream. 
He shares it with his brothers, and this sets off a kind of a chain reaction. Mm. The brothers react in a certain way. Joseph is sent off down to Egypt, and Joseph goes through all kinds of experiences there, which, in God's timing, you know, forecast to where we're headed, actually turn Joseph into the kind of person mm. who is the right kind of person to be in a position of authority, just like the dream said. Yeah. So by sharing the dream... First of all, it makes it look a lot less like it will ever get fulfilled. Mm. But finally, it actually brings about that it can be fulfilled. Yeah, so if God had just showed up and said to the brothers, look, by the way, everyone, Joseph's the guy, like, you're going to deal with it. Like, at that point, maybe they would have just said, okay, I don't like that, but all right. But yeah, the fact that it's, it's, a ve- it's in the sharing of the dream. Like, the brothers say, like, look, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. Um, kill the dreamer was your line, wasn't it? Yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's... Yeah, it's kind of this beautifully woven story in that the very thing that brings the dream about is the sharing of the dream. Like, it's it's quite masterful in how God sets the story up, yeah. Mm. One more uh, question on this. Uh, someone's asked, can God's dreams sometimes not get fulfilled? Well, if we talk about does God, uh, does God achieve his purposes, uh, then... Yes, he does. Yeah, it'd be uh, a resounding yes to that one. Yeah, so, I mean, I used uh, dream as, as a way of, of talking about uh, God's purposes for his creation, God's mm. purposes as outlined in uh, creation, as uh, resisted in the fall, and as reiterated, reaffirmed, and set on a new footing in the promises. Mm. So dream uh, as a kind of a shorthand for all of that, and really, one of the um, one of the big take homes from the book of Genesis as a whole is that, yeah, God God's dream comes true. Mm. Uh, we don't see it come wholly true by the end of the book of Genesis, but we see God at work. Like God refuses to let His initial uh, and ultimate purpose for His creation be thwarted by sin, and God is working overtime to make that dream come true. And of course, we see it finally in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the book, like, again and again, kind of sets up barriers, if you like, to the promises. And again and again, you just see them come crashing down. Like, you know, Abraham and Sarah, all of them have no children. Like, how is it possibly going to bring a great nation from these people? God gives them Isaac. Like, barrier set up, barrier comes crashing down. Like, this part of the story, it's, you know, um, yeah, Jacob's family's torn apart, the... You know, younger son, who's the one who's meant to be the sort of promised one, is out of the picture. By the end of chapter 38, like, Judah is just in this utter disgrace as the next kind of line, and Jacob's son's just being this immoral mess, and you kind of, like, one by one, like, the four eldest, four sons have just been, like, totally trashed themselves. Like, you know, how is God possibly going to work his dream out through this ridiculously dysfunctional family? Like, that's, again, the whole point of the story like by the end we're going to say that none of those barriers are as insurmountable as they seem are actually insurmountable yeah all right let's round this out with one last question uh this is probably picking up on some of the themes that i think i certainly started to draw out i'm not sure exactly where you landed things peter but um someone's asked why do we fear the judgment of others when we have the forgiveness of god do you think that's a cultural problem for us yeah, it's a fascinating question, and I think it's it's true that uh, we can be very, very sensitive to what others think of us, and we may be uh, 
reluctant to let on that we're anything less than perfect. Mm. Um, why do we do that? Well, I guess because uh, old habits die hard. Uh, because the uh, we need the gospel to permeate the culture of our families, our church, mm. you know, as uh, as well. And, and uh, we all believe that we're all sinners, uh, and it's uh, but it's still a step beyond that to act like that is a reality, to be open about the fact mm. that we are sinners and have sinned and continue to sin and need salvation from sin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, like from the beginning, uh, from the like moment sin entered the world, you see that shame and hiding are just part of what happens. Like the last thing you see in Genesis two before the fall happens is Adam and Eve. That you know the man and his wife were naked and were without shame. And then as soon as the sin enters the world, uh, Adam and Eve so fig leaves for themselves and cover up and hide from God. Like they run from God, they run from each other. That's what sin does it, it brings this separation not just between us and god but between people and so we yeah we flee from each other we we don't want to be open and vulnerable like we we flee from god and, and embrace the darkness but that also leads us away from each other um i've been trying to remember like i i tackled this question a bit on um sunday night and thought a bit about like ultimately we we are called to confess our sins to god that's that's where we begin like we come to god and we admit that we have nothing in ourselves that's worthy of his love and mercy and we ask his forgiveness and praise be to God in the gospel he's gracious and pleased to announce it um but we um we also see in the new testament like we're called to confess our sins to each other um I think it's in James somewhere I've been trying to find it I can't remember where it says that if you if you know Peter you can look it up but um flick yeah (laughs) yeah nice I'm I'm pretty sure the bible says that you know somewhere someone has said um, yeah, uh, we're also called to, um, yeah, uh, confess to one another. I think because we are, as you said, meant to be this community that's marked by grace, where we are uh, able to deal with sin because we know that forgiveness is possible. Like we don't have to uh, be utterly consumed by shame and guilt so that uh, there's no possibility of forgiveness. Like we know that's not the case. So we come to God, and we can be, we must be kind of vulnerable and. Um, real with him but there's also a place for it to do that with one another because we're the with the community of the light with the with the with the people of grace like this is where forgiveness is possible yeah yes therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other says the book of james chapter yeah. 5 verse 16 it's in uh you know in a, in a fascinating context connected to uh healing the kind of mm. suffering we might experience perhaps because of sin yeah but uh i think uh there's something healthy, mm. really healthy about being able to uh, be real in that way with yeah. one another and uh, there is a there is a kind of healing in that mm. yeah, and we talked a bit about that on Sunday night as well, like does that mean you know every time you ever meet with any kind of Christian ever, like it's just you're, it's obligated on you to just dare, to air all your dirty laundry all the time and I don't think that's quite the picture we get um, I can't remember who said it to me but one of the principles I kind of picked up early on as a Christian and I think it's just been so helpful in my life is I think it's such a good thing if there's one or two Christians in your life who do really know the real you like um there's a time and a a place for um 
being honest about our, our greatest faults and every growth group meeting isn't maybe all the time, you know, it doesn't have to be every time and to everyone. But yeah, if there's one or two people who you can actually look in the eye and say, I have utterly stuffed up and sinned against God and sinned against these people and to have people who are still there ready to say, um, you need to come to Jesus, forgiveness is possible, um, we love you, all of that. Like I think having someone who knows you, you can be real with, I think it's just such a, a helpful thing in the Christian life. So yeah, I hope and pray there's someone in your life who can be that person to you. Maybe it's time to ask a good Christian brother or sister to say, hey, like I, I need to talk to you. Like can we, can we have a cup of coffee and sit down and start building those kinds of relationships where we can actually bring, bring sin to the light because we're the people of grace and we believe forgiveness is possible. Hmm. Yeah, lots there, uh, but it's been wonderful to get stuck into this first part of our Genesis series. Uh, that's our last question. As we look towards the, the weekend to come, uh, yeah, where are we headed next? Uh, what's happening on Sunday coming up? Well, plenty more ups and downs, twists and turns still in store for Joseph. Uh, Joseph is in Egypt, that's the last we saw of him, in Egypt, sold as a slave, uh, but not dead. Mm. And we're going to see that nor is he abandoned by the Lord. And uh, although there are still plenty of dark times ahead for him, we're going to see Joseph finally come to the place that it seems the Lord has been working to put him for all this time. Yeah, looking forward to that. I'm, I'm a bit sad. I'm actually not going to get to preach this Sunday. I'm having a couple of wisdom teeth out on Saturday. And it's been pointed out maybe that's a bit soft for, for me not to be ready to step into the pulpit on Sunday. Uh, but... Nevertheless, that's the decision that's been made. So, um, looking forward to, to Rod stepping in and filling uh, my shoes there. So, thankful for you, brother. Uh, and wherever you are joining us at church on Sunday, uh, we look forward to walking with you as we, we see how God works through His providence to keep fulfilling His promises. Till then, God bless. See you on Sunday. Thank you. Goodbye.